Welcome to the Faculty Podcast, brought to you by Reformed Theological Seminary in Washington, D.C., part of a 50-plus year endeavor to train pastors and other church leaders in the ministry of the gospel in the United States and around the world. My name's Scott Redd. I'm president and professor of Old Testament here, and I'm joined by my colleagues, Dr. Peter Lee, Dr. Paul Jean, and Dr. Tommy Keene, and we have a special new guest today, a new person to our team, that is Dr. Mike Park. It's great to have you here, Mike. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. Mike has just come on. He's, he's, he's taking a, a job, director of admissions. Uh, he's coming in not only to help on the recruiting side at RTS, but also to help us work with students and discerning calls, thinking about ministry, connecting with ministry partners. Uh, this is all kind of the topic that we're dealing with today. This is in the series of Surviving Seminary, and it's asking this big question, it's kind of, in many ways, the first question, which is, should I go to seminary? Should I, um, you know, should I pursue a call into a vocation that requires seminary? Uh, wonder if I'm in a call or in some kind of vocation that doesn't require seminary. Should I still go to seminary? You know, what, what do I take into account when I'm making this decision? And Mike has great experience in this. Like all of us here, he went to seminary. Uh, he not only went to seminary, he went back to seminary. So he got his MDiv and a doctor of ministry from Covenant Theological Seminary. He has been serving now for the last 10 years. He came up to D.C. right around the time I did. He's been serving as associate pastor at Grace Downtown, PCA Church Downtown. And he's also working here with us in the admissions department. So, Mike, let me start off with you. When you're talking to people, someone comes up and they say, I don't know, maybe I should go to seminary, maybe, maybe I shouldn't. What, what do you, how do you guide them through that discussion? Yeah, I think my thought on that has changed over the years. Initially, I oh. used to think if you went to seminary, it meant you were going to become a pastor or right. a missionary. And uh, the path was laid out for you, and that's why you went to seminary to prepare yourself theologically and otherwise uh, for the call. Uh, but I have since changed that, and now when folks at my church uh, ask if they should take classes or go to seminary, uh, I encourage them wholeheartedly to do so because I do see a difference between studying for a degree, which then prepares mm -hmm. you for ordination and a lifetime of vocational ministry versus being equipped for just life, discipleship, faithfulness, obedience, and so on. So I do think uh, more broadly that seminary can help us to live out the Great Commission where Jesus says, and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. Right. And not every church is equipped to do that, whether it's because the pastor is uh, overloaded with work, or uh, in some church cases, uh, the pastor does not have theological training. And so to supplement that with seminary education, I think is super helpful and very enriching for Christians uh, everywhere um, to get, yeah, to get trained yeah. and equipped. That's, that's great. I, I, I've heard several pastors come to me and say, I love it when a seminary professor comes and does a session or does a conference or something, partly because I realize as you guys are talking that this is what you get to spend all of your time thinking about. And as a pastor, you're doing a lot of other things too. You're, you're doing hospital visits, you're doing you know, marriage counseling, you're doing all this stuff. You don't get to focus down deep on some of these biblical questions in a way that 
professors can have gone and done PhDs. They've considered they've spent a lot of time getting mastery in a field and can come in. And there is something about, you know, your congregation. I, I find this when I go to churches oftentimes, if there's a Q&A time, the first five minutes are about whatever I went to talk about. And then the rest of the Q&A time is like these miscellaneous <laughs> questions that have just been building up in the congregation's mind. And it's great because as a professor, yeah, it is. It's like, this is what I get to think about. Somebody said, wow, you know, you guys know so much about scripture. And I say, yeah, and, and your car mechanic knows a ton about your car because this is what he does all the time, <laughs> you know. So there's something about the guy who you can walk in and say, hey, my car is making this noise and they know what it is. It's because they've heard this question. They've been dealing with cars for a long time. I think the same thing goes for theology, uh, you know, and, and seminary professors. If you get to spend all of your time focusing on this stuff, yeah, you, you start to understand at least a little bit, you know, you, you get to go a little bit farther down the road than everybody else gets to go on some of these questions. And so it's going to seminary for many is just a way of getting this biblical foundation that you, know, you probably can't find anywhere else in the world for that matter. Right. Mm -hmm. And even if your pastor uh, is theologically trained and gifted uh, because of our irregular church attendance, you don't get the full That's picture, right. Yeah. right? You might get snippets here and there and all good things, mm -hmm. but you walk away from that series or the study in the book with a handful of insights rather than seeing the entire landscape. That's great. That's good. Yeah, I really, I came, had a similar sort of journey of, you no know, uh, seminary is just for just for those training to be pastors, to actually, actually, actually being a pastor for a number of years, mm -hmm. seeing seeing people who at, at our church who lay people at our church who are pursuing seminary, doing classes, and how much that they pour that into the church and, and their their own service and discipleship. Um, women at our church who had done a seminary degree and are are able than to disciple other women in a way that I haven't trained them to do as a pastor, but they've they've been they they come trained, and that's just such a value add for the church. I don't have to invent a program to engage them in that way to tr to train them in that way. They they have been trained in that way, and they pour that back into the life of the church in professional ways and in just lay leadership kinds of ways. So it's it's a good for personal growth, but I also think it's an asset for the for the church yeah. to have lay leaders trained in theological thinking and, and in ministry. Yeah, I, I agree with you guys in one sense. <clears throat> and you're a real pastor. Yeah, well, I don't know how my members feel about that. But <laughs> <laughs> Actually, and but. to the point, that's part of this, just kind of behind this question, Paul, is also the fact that RTS makes it a point to hire people who are academics but who have been pastors in churches. You know, all of us, yeah. you know, and Gray, who's not with us today, uh, included, we've all pastored in churches, and many are pastoring still right mm -hmm. now. And that's something that RTS puts a high value on because we don't want people who don't know what the pastoral discipleship work of the church looks like. Sorry, Paul, I interrupted oh, No, 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 that's fine. Um, <clears throat> you know, I, I recognize that in one sense, a seminary education could be luxury. You know, it's hard to take time, especially if it's years. But when I look back in terms of my own life and different degrees that I've pursued, one of the things I tell my children is that if they can, they should get uh, some seminary education because 
it's not just one subject among many. That's the thing. Like when you have a good understanding of God, redemptive history, and just everything else, then when you r learn everything else, whether it's business, medicine, you definitely approach it from a different perspective. And I think that that's just so meaningful. Um, you know, this would never happen, but at some point, if Christians could get something comparable to a seminary education earlier in their overall academic life, I think it would serve them like so well. And so, yeah, I, I agree with what, what Mike was saying. It's very helpful, obviously, for pastors. But if um, people in general can do it, then I think that's good. I think that's also one of the reasons why you have a lot of these seminaries and various Christian organizations trying to make seminary material available to more people. Yeah. So, and we get a lot of that here at RTS Washington. We get yeah. to see the fruit of that. We get the medical professional, mm -hmm. the lawyer, the servant on the hill. You know, yeah. We get a lot of those he here. And they're, they're actually not training for a second career. They're bringing the classroom, the things that they're learning in the classroom into, into, to, to inform what they do on a, daily, on a daily basis. And we actually have a degree program that's kind of set for that, the MAR, yep. which you which is it's not marked as a biblical degree in your title and is also um, you get to write a thesis that's sort of tailored for your interest yeah. is just suited for that kind of work. I, I, I want to study specifically how the, the relationship between bombing and medical ethics, you know, those kinds of questions. Mm -hmm. it's, it's slotted for that. You look at the, the titles of those MAR theses. I'm so Proud, proud of them. Whenever yeah. I look at them, I'm always like, this is amazing. One of our students uh, who actually wrote a book about it, Porter Harlow, uh, came out of the Marine Corps. He'd been a JAG, a judge advocate general, and he was prosecuting some cases during the war on terror times and, uh, you know, realized uh, that enhanced interrogation techniques were going on. And it, it really, as a Christian, made him kind of think about, okay, what does this mean? You know, I'm, I'm operating with this kind of evidence that came out of this system. And he wrote a book on it. He applied just war theory to uh, enhance interrogation techniques, you know, and we've had uh, students come through and talk about, you know, they came out of mainland China and they talked about what does it look like to do apologetics in China. We've had uh, pastors who had uh, abuse in their church and wrote on how do you deal with abuse? How do you help a church grow and prevent abuse in its ranks? You, know, you look through these topics and it's really incredible it's, it, to see what people are directing their studies towards and what they're getting out of it. Um, and it is, it's a way, you can see that they're already stewarding this discipleship that they've had in the seminary and they're stewarding it for the church and how do they help and how do they build up the church outside of it. Yeah, my seminary uh, roommates actually, uh, now I, mean, I still keep in touch with them and neither one of them are in pastoral ministry. Uh, one's an artist, the other is a uh, physician. And when I talk to them about seminary, what they gain from it, um, you know, and this was in a time when seminary wasn't as sensitive to non-pastors uh, and the education was really geared towards pastoral ministry, but they were still there. Yeah. <clears throat> they talked about it more in terms of uh, developing a, a Reformed Christian worldview, and that's what they gained from seminaries to help them in their respective fields, um, in, in medicine, in in art and you know the art community can be uh, rather challenging for Christians to kind of maneuver through so for him that was a real saving grace to be able to know how to dialogue but stay 
firm in his Christian convictions mm-hmm. on matters of truth, but yet still be able to engage uh, in in that field. Uh, you know, as we see our kind of world and community and society going increasingly becoming more pluralistic, mm-hmm. uh, the necessity to have a grounding on on matters of truth, and then to know how to engage in that pluralistic community on that right. uh, becomes more of an increasing need. Uh, and uh, uh, that you see within within the uh, Christian community at large, and yeah. uh, something that that really is our strength as a school. That's exactly what we can offer: is that type of um, you know sort of reformed theological foundation to know how to engage in the community mm-hmm. in a healthy uh, uh, and, and constructive way. Yeah. You know, we recently hosted Christopher Watkins, who wrote uh, Biblical Critical Theory, and his um, he makes a lot of great points in his book, but he actually indirectly addresses this question, like, should I go to seminary, by suggesting that the framework we ask these questions tends to be very utilitarian, like, okay, so should I pursue this degree for a specific career end versus just um, doing something because it's beautiful and not asking primarily if it's useful you know and I've been thinking a lot about that because I heard a preacher share something interesting he was uh, in college and he was taking a class on Mozart and he was told constantly you have to do well in every class in order to uh, graduate with a high GPA and make money so he would listen to Mozart to make money but as he gets older he notices he pays money to listen to Mozart where he, he realizes that you know, he was just talking about how we, earlier at least, tend to just frame life in terms of career and does this fit with my career. But I think all what we're all trying to get at is we might not see the immediate payoff of a theological education, and yet in many other aspects of life we just pursue them because they're inherently beautiful mm-hmm. or worthy. So, you know, I think even if someone were to ask me, should I go to seminary, I might invite them to think about that just in terms of like the subject itself versus the career benefit it might offer. So yeah, that's great. I would think increasingly, like you know, Mike. Uh, you know, I know you deal with a lot of young um, uh, college, post-college age uh, folk, uh, and especially now in the secular universities where you have a lot of like Bible as literature type thing, um, and they're not at all friendly to conservative views on scripture and things of that nature, yet that's what they hear. Um, uh, you know, it's, it's easy to kind of get lost in that dialogue, and, and, it, and it'd be so great to have these young guys go to seminary, learn a Reformed doctrine of scripture, uh, learn what it means, uh, and, and to know how to, you know, kind of assess the things that they got from their college campuses and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. And I think the stakes are higher now because Christian faith is no longer uh, archaic or irrelevant. It's dangerous now yeah. uh, to believe in our faith and our tradition uh, puts us in a dangerous place from a societal standpoint. And to live in that space and operate out of that space uh, constantly uh, can wear you down. And if mm-hmm. you're not anchored in the truth, um, I, I think it's easy to be swayed and easy to compromise. And so I do encourage our folks uh, to consider taking seminary yeah. classes yeah. Uh, to sort of double down in what you believe. And um, 
to know it well. And so hopefully that will pay some dividends. Let me turn the topic then away from people who may or may not be pursuing a call to ministry. Because one thing I have noticed at seminary is that you may come here thinking, I just love theology. And two years in, you think, I think I want to be in full-time ministry. So that does happen. Um, But let's transition it over. I want to talk a little bit about the value of seminary for people who are called to full-time ministry, because that itself is somewhat of a controversial claim in American Christendom. You know, the majority of our churches out there do not require people to have an MDiv, do not require, forget about MDiv, an MA, or some kind of formal training. They see pastoral calling as more of a personal thing, and if you're called, you better start doing it right now, you know. Um, What's the argument for a pastor getting formal theological training, formal theological preparation and education at a seminary before pursuing a call into ministry? I might not go so far as to say it's absolutely necessary yeah but i would probably say it's like can't be absolutely necessary because most people a lot lot of people in the world don't have access to seminary yeah so i would but you know one clear example is like for instance in the pastoral epistles we're told that we should rightly handle the word of god Mm -hmm. and so if we if you just take that injunction seriously then i think there's something fitting to spending a few years learning the languages uh, ex-jesus learning the theology because we believe that you know maintaining orthodoxy is a biblical idea. It's not just a right. dogmatic idea. Um, and it's interesting when I hear these arguments sometimes. Again, I, I don't want to be elitist, but you would never go to, um, you would never have someone say, "Hey, I want to become a surgeon, and you know I feel called to do this, so I'm going to skip to school." You know, like the work that we're doing is of such like eternal significance mm-hmm. that I think it just makes sense if it is possible to devote a few years to um, growing so that you can rightly handle the word. Of yeah. God. I, I'm reminded of that when you, you often hear people joke about, you know, the wall in their office where their diplomas are hanging and people go, Oh yeah, that's your ego wall. huh?" Mm-hmm. And I say, well, you would never say that right to your general physician or your surgeon, you know, that he's got his documents up there and you go, Oh, that's the, cushion your ego as a matter of fact the opposite is true if you went in and you're about to go into surgery and you said hey doc where did you train and he said i just really love this i I didn't (laughs) i didn't feel like i needed education i just really love surgery it's my passion you know i feel i feel both i feel both an internal on youtube (laughs) i feel both an internal and an external affirmation of my surgery so i didn't need to go to seminary um or to surgery in medical uh, medical school um I think that's a great point. If we take this stuff seriously, then wouldn't you expect the person to be trained and prepared as yeah. much as they possibly can in God's providence? The, the, the elitism, you mentioned don't want to sound elitist, Paul, but it can, the, there's a narrative that kind of goes the other way, right? That, yeah. that uh, look, I'm able to do this. I'm able to call people to faith yeah. without an education yeah. Because, yeah. because of the charisma, because of the, there's a, you know, there's a kind of, you see this in politics too. You don't want a trained politician. You want somebody who can be natural born. Yeah, natural born. Who's gonna Who's gonna call out somebody that's not on the in, inside circle? Um, but there's a. I think there's a underdog kind of attraction to that. But mm-hmm. the analogy, 
the analogy to a surgeon or a doctor, I think, is a fitting one because it calls that into question. Do yeah. you want somebody messing with your soul yeah. who doesn't have a depth in theological education? And uh, I'd answer the question by kind of putting forward some of our student stories. A lot of them, you know, come into seminary after five years of ministry. And they, they went to a, you know, their church's training school, that which, you know, one-year kind of training college for, for ministry. But they come in after five years, and they, they say, I've hit the bottom of the well. I, I just, mm-hmm. I, I don't have anything else to offer yeah. because my well was always more shallow than yeah. I realized. And they want to deepen that well, to deepen that knowledge. And the the three-day conferences aren't doing it anymore. The three-day conferences aren't doing it anymore. For a lot of people, that is their training. Yeah. That's how they get refreshed for the next year of ministry is they go to a conference, and that gives them the content for the next year. Yeah, and I think some of those conferences, right, the depth actually that you're able to get there it comes from the person who's speaking having a deep well. <laughs> yeah, that's right. They, they, that's they right. are pulling and they're drawing out of their own theological yeah. um, breadth. Yeah. Yeah. And I appreciate, Paul, how you grounded mm-hmm. your response on Scripture. You know, this is something from Timothy to, to rightly handle right. the word of truth. This isn't our own, uh, you know, kind of proclivities and our own personal value systems uh, you know the, the word of God kind of instructs us to uh, to do this and um, and and I guess now you know again with with so many challenges that we have in our world on just not just on matters of ethics but uh, anthropology doctrine of God um, uh, even within the context of 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 the church, we still have varying views on different things. This, this is all, you know, we can't just have one person's opinion versus another. We have to be on a common ground of Scripture, which means right. we need to have people who are educated, trained, who are well-read, who know what the uh, arguments are, both ancient as well as current. So we need guys, people who are reading the literature, finding out who's saying what, that's contributing and not contributing. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, Ligon, you know, has frequently said that we live in a day where we need more theological yeah. education, not less. And, he, and he's totally right. The more, um, uh, the more wide-ranging uh, he- things that we hear and see out there, the more we really need to be grounded on Scripture mm-hmm. and, and, and doctrine and theology and biblical interpretation and history of interpretation, because these things, you know, just kind of recycle itself sometimes, and yeah. and we need to be aware that you know what so and so is saying was said by so and so five hundred years ago, disproved by so and so five hundred years ago, yeah. and yeah, the and church like the that, church so. wasn't created last week, right? Yeah, people have been dealing with these issues for a long time, and that's a huge help to us, and it's also an anchor to keep us rooted in the two thousand years of voices that we have of the Holy Spirit illuminating Scripture to faithful men and women and we can grow from their voices and, and, be, and be rooted in it. Yeah, several things come to mind as I think about this. Um, one is uh, the, the universality of the church, right? Uh, we don't simply exist on our own, um, but mm-hmm. we're part of something rich and historic. And that has a lot to offer to us. Yeah. And um, for us to ignore that, um, I think, is doing ourselves a great disservice. Mm. Uh, as uh, you both mentioned, a lot of these uh, things are not new, right? As the scripture says, there's nothing new under the sun. 
And even though we think it's a new debate, new topic, new issue, the scripture and the church uh, throughout its history uh, have addressed these things. And, and I think it's important that we listen and listen well and apply that in relevant ways uh, in our cultural moment. And I am also weary of folks who um, have this individualistic mindset. Uh, it's the whole John Wayne mentality, yeah. right? Um, I don't really need anybody, right? I can figure this out on my own. Um, I, I think the church calls us to a community, and that's not just for the sake of fellowship, but it's for us to learn uh, and listen, and uh, as a result of that, uh, be better uh, for it, mm -hmm. even in our ministry context. So. Um, I understand that in some parts of the world, getting theological education is impossible. Mm -hmm. But when it is possible, I think it'd be wise uh, to uh, take advantage of those yeah. opportunities. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in case in point, I, I got to be a part of a work that, that actually came out of right around 2000. There was a, a nation in North Africa that suddenly opened up uh, you know, registration of churches. And up until that point, people weren't aware of churches in this country or that weren't expat, you know, expatriated Western churches. And out of the woodwork, these, basically I think in the first year, 2000, 2001, 12 churches emerged. Mm -hmm. And even the people who had been sending missionaries into that country were saying, we don't know where these churches came from. And it was one of those kind of amazing things, this kind mm -hmm. of works of the spirit, um, you know, quiet evangelism, and these churches emerged. And what was interesting is they emerged, they were up in North Africa, so you have both Arabic and then the local dialects being spoken. So there were a lot of linguistic issues in getting trained, and the churches were filled with converts. They were all con converts from Islam or from other beliefs that were all categorized as Islam, uh, you know, in their in their communities. And one of the things is that very, very soon after their founding, you have pastors emerging out of the congregations, and none of them are trained. And not only that, because of their convert status, it's much more difficult to get training. If you're born a Christian in a Christian family, you can go to seminaries in Egypt and elsewhere. Um, and one thing that we found out, this is about five years later, is that they, they realized, like, I'm a pastor, but what I say up here really matters. Hmm. And so they were going one of two routes. We, we heard there were basically two routes people were going. Either one solution was, I'm therefore only going to read Scripture. And so they would stand up and for 20, 30 minutes would read right. sections of Scripture because they didn't want to say something that was wrong. Okay. Not a bad solution. Not a bad solution. Yeah. The other, one, other way of it, it was go online <laughs> and find somebody. you got to remember, this is early Internet. So go online, find somebody who's a Christian. And, he's, and, I, and it's in Arabic or it's in Kabil or something like that. You know, it's in one of these language groups. Cut and paste it and then I read that. And that's my sermon. And, of course, you go online and who are you getting? It's like Benny Hinn, mm -hmm. right? Because he's mm -hmm. spending the money to get his stuff translated. So you have these churches where you're either hearing Scripture read for 30 minutes or you're hearing Benny Hinn, okay? And everyone recognizes, like, this isn't the best case. And so um, I got to be a part of a group, and we actually created, like, a small, intense seminary. I mean, it's basically six months um, of just high-speed seminary education. And it was just to get them some kind of foundation and all these things we're talking about. But here's the point. When those students showed up who were already pastors to these classes, I didn't have to convince any of them that this was important. 
<laughs> right? right? They all were like, oh, this is a yeah, this is definitely what we need. Yeah, it comes out of a felt need. It's a, yeah. a huge felt need. It's actually it's kind of an example of sort of a complacency maybe in a luxury that we have to say, well, I don't know if I really need it, <laughs> right? Because when you need it, you know you need it, right? So, but even there, it's not it's not a three year MDiv that they were getting, but they knew they needed some kind of foundation in their language, so that they could get up and disciple, counsel, walk with people, preach, you know. And that was a very just kind of like I thought, you know, organic example of what seminary looks like, even in a context where there's no accredited schools. For instance, yeah. it's more like a train, just a training program. So, so a question I get a lot from from those who are interested in seminary either the pastor or just the lay the lay leader is okay well seminary i know seminary would be valuable but it's not for me mm-hmm. i'm not smart enough i can't i can't play in that playground um i haven't been to school in 15 years i don't want to write a paper again like how would you respond to those kinds of questions hmm. that's a good question what do you think tom <laughs> <laughs> it is a great question. Um, <laughs> let me thanks genius. for asking. <laughs> That's a genius question that needs a genius answer. Yeah. Tommy? Well, <laughs> okay. well uh, since you've been asked the question, I assume you have a real brilliant response. I tell them to go talk to you guys. <laughs> that is a brilliant response. No, it, it, is, it is a good question. One thing, I, one thing I've noticed, um, I'm sure we, we'll maybe get some emails about this. I am not aware of maybe more than a handful of cases over my 20 years in seminary in one way or another where someone got to seminary, they took a bunch of classes and then said, man, I hate this. I don't want to do schoolwork anymore. There's a thing that happens. It's different in seminary than it is in undergrad because in undergrad, you're doing probably a liberal arts degree of some kind or another, or you're thinking about your job and you're having to take classes you don't necessarily like. There's something about going to seminary. If you if you feel an inkling of a desire to study God's word, and then you get here and you get to do it, I noticed there's a night and day difference yeah. between my English degree and I love English lit, right, and my seminary degree. It was the I was more mature, but also I it was just studying something that you're not only just interested in, but that your heart starts to get conformed to, and that's a different kind of study. Usually we say, and Mike knows this, but in admissions, one of the best ways to do admissions at RTS is just to get the student in a class. Mm-hmm. And once they get in the class, they realize, oh, yeah, this, this is what I want to do. I think the heart of your question is, like, ability. Um, I haven't been at school for mm-hmm. a while. <clears throat> you know, um, we grew up playing soccer, and only one team got a ribbon. It's, it's the one that won. Now everyone gets one for participation, right? So we are in an age where I think the assumption is um, everyone is equally able. So, again, you, you can edit No, I mean, as, I'm not going to edit so, that out. As, as somebody who frequently got the participation ribbon, <laughs> I feel like this is an important thing to say. No, but I'm not sure. I, I, I do think that we are uh, uh, technically, you know, a graduate school level, right? And so... I wouldn't be, I think the majority of students that come, um, it's it's fine. And when I say majority, I mean like almost everyone. But I wouldn't go so far as to say anyone can do it. Right. Yeah, I think that's what I'm trying to get at. We don't, we, we want to make sure we don't fall into that trap of saying, come one, come all, like we're all the same. I wouldn't say that, and, and but I think can, most people can swing it. And we can make that argument from Paul's gifts list, right? Not everybody... Yeah. 
-hmm. This is not a, for everybody. It's not the best way to steward certain kinds of gifts, but it is the best way to steward other kinds of gifts. So I, I think that's important. But to you know, uh, Scott, to your point, if you have there's there's this kind of like if I have the desire, mm -hmm. the, that's an indicating factor that you if if you have the desire to grow in your knowledge of Scripture and God mm -hmm. and ability to teach, then probably you're going to be fine in the classroom. Yeah. And yeah, to add to it, I mean, people self-select out. Right. My point would be a lot of people, I think, who might be self-selecting out because they're like, yeah. well, I didn't do that great in my computer science major or in my English major. Mm. We'll get to seminary and excel. Now, excelling may be getting Bs, right? You know, B not is gonna a say, good grade. Yeah, B is a I good grade. I tell all my students <laughs> this. Like, B is good. It means what it means what it says. It's good. Um, but... You know, it may mean that, but um, at the same time, there are people who are self-selecting out. And I'd say, I think if they get to seminary, they probably go, yeah, they probably phase out after a year. In my experience, though, I think more people are self-selecting out who shouldn't be, right, than, than, than there are coming in. I, I, I do think that once you get in here, if you've got enough desire to go through the admissions process and to get accepted, and you don't have the major flags that would keep you from getting accepted, um, when you get into the class, if you've already had that enough desire to get that far in the process, you're probably going to enjoy what's happening there. Yeah, and, and it's going to stretch you. It's going to mm -hmm. it's going to rock your world, maybe. But yeah. but it's it's uh it's it's something that if you got that far along, I noticed our students typically then have the foundation to get further. Yeah, no. So I should clarify. My answer was merely theoretical. I think in practice, I think Scott's absolutely right. Too many people self-select out because they have this cryptic idea that, you know, seminary is really for like the spiritually elite or exceptionally or gifted. intellectually elite. Yeah. And obviously, our, our panel here disproves that. We disprove every week. So all I was saying it. was in th in theory, but <laughs> in actuality, I, I I can't look back with all these years and say that's actually been an issue. So just yeah. no, that's really good. And, just to kind of add even another layer on top of that, um, yeah, the, the ones who get in here who often think, oh, I'm not the person who's got the gifts, but I'm going to go ahead and give it a shot, mm -hmm. they might actually surprisingly find themselves excelling because they've never actually studied something that they love this much, you know, and it drives them to push themselves harder. So, I love, actually, as you mentioned it, um, the... You know, I, I, I mean, I have had conversations with students who have been intimidated with the idea of writing term papers mm -hmm. after not having done it, you know, for X amount of years. Or, you know, I was a um, chemistry major, and you know, I've never really had to do term papers before, and and they and you and and they're concerned about it. And 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 as I thought about it, um, uh, you know, I have had conversations like that, and and. And now that I've had time, and I've actually never done this before, and to think back now on on those students that I've had those conversations with, and now think back in, in their actual uh, product, the work that they did, the actual term mm -hmm. papers that they submitted, it was actually quite good. Mm -hmm. uh, I can't think of one where I thought, yeah, you actually, you're right, you shouldn't have gone to seminary. <laughs> I can't think of a single case like yeah, that. I might and have a few. <laughs> well, uh, all right, maybe, but... Uh, Sorry, to Paul's point. <laughs> I guess my point simply is, um, 
you know, not if you love the idea of studying theology, go for it. Yeah, right. You know, don't let the work intimidate you. You know, in fact, what you may find is that if you really enjoy it and the classes and the content of the lectures you're hearing from week to week is reinforcing that that love for the the truth, that'll reflect in the papers and the exams, and you're going to do fine. And uh, and you know, writing papers is more kind of logical argumentation anyhow. It's and 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 my my guess is that, that a lot of the people who are interested in seminary education can think logically and put together arguments That's pretty right. well. Yeah. And so um, you know, just fine tuning things here and there. But uh, but I guess I maybe if I can quote scripture as well, uh, I just encourage students to seek first the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. You know, let let everything else everything else will take care of itself. But if you really are interested in pursuing um, uh, theological education, go for it and see what happens. I might even add for our students who are currently students, because I, I have this as a regular problem, writing a term paper, and in my class that means they're pretty short too, they're 3,000 words, that's 12 pages, it's yeah, not you, that much. You're a softie. I'm a softie. Well, you got to, uh, yeah, if you put any fluff in there, that's where you're going get, to get nailed. <laughs> um, so... But I tell you exactly how to write the paper. Some people, I think, come in thinking this is an art form. I'm like, it's not an art, actually. It's quite a, it's quite the science. Mm-hmm. I tell you exactly how to do it. And if you follow my instructions, and to be honest, if you even have questions about it, set up a meeting and come meet with me, and we'll talk about your paper. I, I, I'm happily available for that, and I'm surprised often how few students take you up on it. But ahead of time, come talk to me about the paper. We'll walk you through it. And it's not that hard actually, if you just follow the instructions. You know, and so for the person who's thinking about it, same case there, you're not going to come in and we're not going to expect you to know how to do all this. We recognize that some of you are STEM majors. Some of you haven't been to school for a long some time. Some of you are engineers. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, but you didn't have to write, you know, you know I've had yeah. students come in and be like, I've never written one of these papers before because yeah. I took, uh, you know, I took biology. You know, so um, we'll walk you through the process. It's actually not that mysterious. Yeah, and I think there's this tacit assumption or passive assumption that professors or other seminary students kind of begrudge your presence in the classroom. Yeah. Like if you if you're not up the level to comp- to to converse with yeah. the elite, then you're just going to be a bother. And that is none of us are that way, right? We right. all just love to talk. We love to talk about theology at all the different levels. Yeah. And uh want you to succeed. Um, I mean, that's what I love about our faculty across all of the campuses at RTS is everybody's rooting for you that's right. to to grow in Christ. That's why we're here, um, and that's what the what we're trying to do. Even if, even if it, it is in a classroom, which feels a bit sterile and academic, the goal is, you know, more love, O Christ, to thee, and that's, mm-hmm. that's our passion. Amen. If I can add uh, to what Peter said earlier, I think... Um, Work itself, um, putting in the hours, doing the research, and actually honing um, the skill of writing the paper is actually a good preparation for ministry, too. Because yeah. in ministry, you don't get to do the things that you love only, right? Yeah, right. You have to learn to flex different set of muscles. Yeah. And so this is a good training ground. Uh, discipline is a good character to have, and it translates well to pastoral ministry. So see it as a package deal. You're being equipped and trained for uh, ministry work. And so um, don't look at it simply as, am I an A student or a B student, but 
God's e- using even yeah. this to prepare me. Actually, and you quoted Ligon earlier, Peter, and it's good to maybe end on a quote from Ligon. He's, he's often said, let's not talk about this merely as training. This isn't just like exercise. And don't talk about this as just theological education. This isn't just like schooling. Uh, you know, he, he, he uses the word often of preparation, right? We're, we're doing something more than just teaching information, and we're doing something more than just, you know, working out, right? This is prep. We're, we're preparing people for ministry. And that's a really important part of that is that the developing the kind of muscles you'll develop in seminary will help you in pastoral ministry. And we can't teach you everything, but you're right, but we can. We've thought through the re- I, I tell this to our students often. We've thought through these assignments. We've thought through these classes. This isn't just arbitrary. We, we're, you're doing this for a reason, you know. And um, it's to prepare you for whatever God's called you to. But, yeah, the center of the racket, as we like to say, uh, the mainstream of the vocations we're, we're, we're training into is that of ministry vocation. Well, brothers, it's been great to have this conversation. Mike, we welcome you. Thrilled to have you on the team and thrilled to have you on the podcast. Look forward to future podcasts with you. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Uh, If you'd like to learn more about RTS, go to rts.edu. If you want to learn more about RTS Washington, put a forward slash Washington on that. And you can see how you can start the conversation about enrolling at RTS. You can also go to the link in the show notes for this episode. It's been great being with you all this week. Look forward to being again together next week. Until then, take care. You don't have outtakes at the end? We do. We do. Yeah, we do yeah. sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's where it should go. Yeah. Sort of the, the post-credit. We have these post-credit scenes. Yeah. Okay. Well, there we go. And we'll do, let's do about 40 minutes or so. And if we need to stop in the middle, it makes it easier if we don't. But if we have to stop in the middle and say, okay, what next? Yeah, and I've, I've been pretty good about writing. Okay, that's, that's smart. Okay. And, Great. And... <clears throat> I'm looking at the timestamp. That's why. <clears throat> right. Tommy, your pen is making me covetous. They're not. They're not expensive. They look expensive. They're not. They might disappear. <laughs> they might disappear. <laughs> Better get a backup or two, <laughs> or just get us all one right now. <laughs> hmm. <clears throat> all right. So here we go.